Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm your host Anna and every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring people in business on a wide range of topics, asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. Today we're at digital product studio Us2, talking to managing director Nikki Sprins, also the co-founder of Ada's List, a 3,000 strong community for women who work in technology in London, New York and beyond. Nikki is committed to raising the profile of women working in technology and creating spaces in which women can learn from and support each other. And furthermore, she recently reversed the gender pay gap at Us2, and we're here to find out how. So welcome, Nikki. Hello. So give me some context on the gender pay gap at, at us too. What was it before you took it on and how and why did you start, decide to take radical action? Great question. So I joined the us Two London leadership team in 2016 when our gender pay gap was 13%. Um, and we have now proudly reversed it, perhaps too far in the direction in favour of women, but we can talk about that a bit more <laughs> um, later on. Uh, but essentially... It struck me as being something that as part of overall looking at diversity, we needed to be able to talk more about pay parity and closing the gender pay gap. It's interesting because obviously the the reporting has put it to the top of people's agendas. It's very much an awareness piece. Mm -hmm. And I would like to think that all companies are doing something to rectify it. But you've taken quite, as I said, quite radical action. Um, Tell me about some of the things that you put into play and why. So I think when I was working here, part of the studio, I could see that culturally everybody was very invested in becoming a more diverse studio. But I think about the gender pay gap is you have to put your money where your mouth is so you can talk and pay lip service to initiatives around making the workplace better for underrepresented groups. But ultimately, we all get a pay packet once a month. Mm. And that does denote in some way some kind of value. Um, and I think for women generally, it's very important to feel like they have um, equality with men and pay parity. Um, and closing that gender pay gap is part of that. So one of the things we first looked at was the basics of whether we had gone accidentally on a journey of having some pay equity issues, which makes sense. A company that's now 15 years old, founded by two best friends, has been on an amazing journey in terms of growing um, and becoming a global company. When you hire friends of friends initially because you trust them really well, they may be just like you, which in this case were other um, white men. And it might therefore mean that as you fast forward 10 years, um, you have accidentally got a situation where you may have less women in the workplace or you may have accidentally created um, a pay parity issue. So that was the first thing I wanted to look at. Did we have any legacy pay parity issues that weren't intentionally set, set up in that way? Um, and then... After that, we really wanted to look at how can we be a workplace that attracts fantastic female talent. And ultimately, I've always believed that you have to be able to look up and see a version of your future self. Um, And so that's about ensuring that we had more women in leadership, more women in senior roles, um, access to career progression for everybody. So in the first year when we were looking at this, we were looking at um, a basic step, which is 50-50 shortlists for open roles. Uh, it sounds quite simple, but I think you have to work really, really hard. I don't hold, um, I don't have much tolerance from individuals who say uh, diversity could ruin the quality of candidates. That's absolute nonsense. You just have to work harder. So I think that was the commitment we made. We were willing to work harder to find fantastic candidates and acknowledge that we would have to recruit in different networks, but we would have to brief recruiters that they would need to make efforts um, for us to have a 50-50 shortlist. We also um, 
looked at introducing management training. So actual formal training for managers so they were aware of their implicit unconscious bias or now we've talked about more inclusivity training um, so that people understand the natural biases we have and realize that we have to work harder to overcome them. We also set up um, and piloted something called um, underrepresented in leadership training. So this was uh, an internal initiative where we partnered with an external coach, Harriet Minter, to look at how could people think more about how they can progress, but also how can they better understand the business. So they were invited to forecasting meetings, leadership team meetings, um, earlier on in their career than perhaps usually they might have been because we wanted to look at how could we support these women uh, and other underrepresented groups. The underrepresented piece is important to us too, although I've, as a team we've looked at closing the gender pay gap, actually we're always looking at how we can improve mm. diversity within mm. the studio generally. The two are part of the same culture, aren't they? We'll talk some more about the pragmatic um, aspects, but it, I just want to unpack that a bit. I mean, how did you ascertain what you needed to do and who did it? It's a good question. Um, I think part part of it was I feel really passionately about it um, because when I joined in September 2014, there were no women in leadership roles in um, across the studio. Wow. Um, and that has changed enormously since then. I mean, it's been almost five years uh, on a global leadership team. We're now predominantly women. Uh, in the London local leadership team, we are predominantly women. Um, and our board has a, a female chair. So there's been an enormous progress across the board in us too, and I think that's phenomenal. In a short amount of time as well, actually. In, yeah, yeah, five years is yeah. nothing. Yeah. Um, and I think that goes back to my original point around intention. I think you have to intentionally state that this is something you're going to, that you care about and you want to make a change um, to. And... In particular, I think you have to have a plan. I mean, I think that's the most frustrating thing about the results this year, um, that they essentially haven't really changed on a UK level, but nobody, there's no compulsion to submit a plan. Mm. Um, I think I read that 48% of companies have allegedly submitted a plan, but because it's not compulsory, there's no impetus. Um, I understand the government's motivation that perhaps naming and shaming would inspire people to take action. But unless you have someone in your organization who's an agitator who really cares about it personally, there's no penalty. Mm, There's no absolutely. penalty for any of these organisations that have more than 250 people. So myself and our people lead, Laura Kennett, uh, were very keen that we should take action, but also publish the action we were taking, even though there was no mandatory reporting for organisations that are as small as ours, um, because us to London is effectively less than 80 people. So we're not obliged to report, but we wanted to. Mm. Um, but it all comes back, as I say, to the intention of needing a clear plan and a strategy. I think we can all pay lip service to doing something about diversity or addressing the gender pay gap, but unless you're very clear mm. and intentioned about that, you you're can't not going to get anywhere. I mean, I mean, to that extent, what what's the one question then that business leaders need to ask themselves, uh, you know, when they're faced with the issues of, of pay parity or the gender pay gap? Do you care? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> do you it's, care? It's like, are you committed? Are you committed? Are you going to lean in? Yeah. yeah, I think it's as simple as do you care? Are you committed? And if so, how much? Because it's going to cost you. Yeah. You know, there are moments where you might have to go into a meeting and explain to a woman who's been working brilliantly for you for three years uh, that she's now got an extraordinary increase. And she quite rightly could turn around and say, how come you hadn't corrected that previously? Mm, exactly. So, yeah. So it's commitment, care, um, and an understanding that it also may mean that some of these adjustments may um, cost you. Hmm. In terms of putting everything in place that you did, give me the timeline on how long it roughly took 
to correct the gender so pay gap? it's taken us three years. Right. Okay. Um, so we started with, as I say, 13% gender pay back in 2016. And we now have a gap in favour of women in, in 2019. I think um, the biggest jump was actually 2016 to 2017. So it's 13% to 3.5%. And that change, I would say, was the intention we'd had in hiring more women into leadership roles. And that goes back to that point around, you know, if you proactively make those hires, it doesn't mean in any way that you are reducing talent or um, that you will get less brilliant candidates as a result of proactively looking for women. I think it's a positive step to look for 50-50 gender-based shortlists because what you're saying is it's not um, positive discrimination. We're not talking about the apartheid or Mm. um, other references where people get very nervous when you use that language. Um, It's a shortlist. Essentially, Mm. it means that we will start off from a a place of equality. So what... What is your gender pay gap now then? That's a good question. It's now 4.28% in favour of women, which I know is very unusual. It's equal opportunity for, you know, for everyone. It's removing the barriers to talent, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, Rather than being prescriptive. And there's so much female talent out there and so much talent from, from, uh, you know, underrepresented areas of the workforce. The business case is there to tap into that, isn't it? The business case is there. I think, you know, if you need to go back to the original question of sort of do you care as an organisation, it is positive for your bottom line at the end of the day. Mm. Having a more diverse uh, team, having women on your workforce has been proven time and time again to increase the bottom line. So even if businesses want to ignore the moral um, imperative, which is a shame when they do, there is a very clear business case as to why they should be investing in female talent. Um, and I think it's, I mean, frankly, I feel it's slightly lazy when organisations say we haven't been able to hire the people yeah. that we want, or they run a really sort of, um, they really run a really superficial campaign um, on the back of their gender pay gap numbers. And for three months, somebody in their organisation is paying attention. Um, I do recognise that this year's results, that some organisations have struggled because they have intentionally hired more junior women in order to improve the pipeline. Mm. Clearly, there is a pipeline issue. Um, and so it may be that the change arc is is longer than, in our case, three years. We're a smaller organisation. It's been easier for us to have an impact. I can understand that in a larger corporation, if you're trying to improve the pipeline, pipeline of opportunities as well as setting up women um, training and and progression frameworks um, as well as leadership courses those things do take time Mm. in an organization of kind of 10,000 people but you've got to move you've got to do something you've got to start moving it haven't you and 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 then you know and have that target as you say can't hit something if you don't have a target (laughs) agreed I think the other thing is you also need to be talking about it a huge amount internally we wouldn't have been able to achieve this change if the whole organization wasn't behind it so uh, the people team and I might have started the process but essentially the whole studio has been with us the whole studio is invested in having not only a um, reduced gender pay gap they also wanted an uh, equal split of men and women in the studio and that's what we achieved this year for the first time as well wow I mean um, I was going to say what what you know we've talked about the effects on the business um, both bottom line and and on a top line level but what about the actual the people in the building in the office I mean have you had feedback from them about this yeah I mean that's so the other th- the other impetus was uh, very much ground roots discussion from women in the organization wanting to feel they were in a workplace where they were equally valued, but also that they were in teams where they weren't the only women on a team. 
Um, but I think what's been extraordinary is it's the support of um, male allies in the organization. So that because they're also doing the interviews, they're the ones that know that they have to check their unconscious bias. They're the ones who have to say to themselves, I'm not just going to recommend a friend of a friend. I'm going to suggest that we uh, recruit from a different recruit, you know, different network. So a lot of it does depend on really strong male allies and a whole organization supporting it. And I think it's across the group. I mean, we had spontaneous applause when we shared our results, not because there was an expectation, but because the studio was really proud that they they were part of part of that journey part of that change and yeah yeah absolutely um i'm just going to come back to one of the things you did in this journey yeah as part of moving the needle you you offered off the record coaching for women to help them to ask for a learn to ask for a pay rise which is quite an unusual move why did you do that so that was motivated by personally recognizing I had been terrible in my early 20s at, at negotiating for salary. And I recognize that it's not, it's something we talk a lot about now, but I don't think we necessarily talk about it enough. I think we talk about money enough with women. So there's a whole other conversation we could have about women who aren't saving for their pensions and financial literacy. But as part of that, um, I think we don't in, encourage or teach women how to confidently assert their value and be really clear that it's not an emotional conversation. Mm. It's a very straightforward business case um, that you can come in and talk about the benchmarking you've done. And um, it's it's important to be able to have a conversation and recognize that you should leave the room with something. Um, I know Cindy Gallup has been a fantastic inspiration for many women in terms of understanding how to navigate and negotiate through those conversations. So the reason why I offered that to the women in the studio is I wanted them to know I was removing my leadership hat and essentially just speaking to them to say, okay, what do you feel you've achieved? How would you like to talk about it? What are the blockers you're experiencing? Can I help you put together a case? And are you happy to take something else? If there isn't, if the business can't support a pay rise at this time, what else would you like? Is there flexible working? Do you want reduced hours? Is there a benefit that you don't have access to? But just remembering that you are entitled to ask for the pay rise. And that you contribute worth. This is, yes. as you say, it's not an emotional conversation. No. It's not a charity. <laughs> so right. you need to be, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the fundamental core of everything. I mean, would they put their case back to you then once they put it together? So it depends. I think it's very much dependent on the individuals. Uh, for some individuals, we, we had a meeting and I think it was just a confidence boost for them. For others, we've had more protracted conversations around them explaining to me where they're at perhaps what had happened where they'd lost their confidence and then we'd go through how they put together the case they'd make some amends and then they go off and speak to their manager um, and it is I recognize the I guess the uh, duality of the role I'm playing there I'm very intentionally often had the conversations out at the side of the studio even if it's just kind of we, we have a thing here where we talk about going for a walk and talk as a, um, a meeting so that it didn't feel like we're in the studio with Nikki who's the managing director of the business where where are you now with everything? So this year you reported zero, well, or slightly in favour of women. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know how you would define how you would say that. So that's never been. I mean, I think that's we, never been before. <laughs> <laughs> I think we acknowledge as a studio that we do now have um, a predominantly female leadership team. So we have myself as managing director. We recently hired a women strategy director. We have an extraordinary female tech director and we have a female design director. Now, even me saying those things is quite radical within the landscape in London across agencies 
agencies and studios, those roles are often filled by men. Mm. Um, and so that's what's really tipped the balance um, slightly in flavor of women because we do have a team of six and four of them are women. Um, and that means that our gender pay gap is, is in favor of women. But what we're going, to, we, we need to continue to do the things we're doing. So the other thing I'd say, as well as needing a plan and a set of intentions, you also need to ensure that you're continuing to pay attention. I mean, I can't, we can't just sort of relax. I may be going on maternity leave in a minute. Um, but in <laughs> my absence, the end of the yeah, that's right. Um, I, I can't, um, I need to hand that over to someone because if we don't pay attention, we don't continue to pay attention to the 50-50 shortlists. If we don't continue to think about underrepresented in leadership training, if we don't think about progression frameworks, if we don't ensure that new managers are trained to understand their own biases and thinking about how they support people, um, then we could very easily slip. Yes. We're not at a level anywhere, really, are we, where it's a given that that is going to carry on. So it's a constant awareness piece. Um, I mean, just generally, what would you like to see going forward in terms of uh, gender pay gap reporting, you know, the way that businesses are tackling their own gender pay gaps? I'd like to see, I suppose there are two parts to this question for me. Within our industry, I'd like people to recognize they should report whether it's mandatory or not you'll get some grassroots conversation which will demand a change from leadership which is a great way for these things to happen um i would like to see a formal a formal request from government for a plan uh, because i think without one essentially whilst i do recognize it's fantastic that something has been done essentially it's one one day in a year there's a couple of news head, news headlines for two or three days afterwards some corporations are embarrassed slightly uh, there's a few columns maybe for a month afterwards and then basically for the rest of the year we don't talk about it mm, absolutely um, yeah. and then we'll get you know in, in this case we'll get to 2020 we'll all be surprised that it's still stuck at 11.9 or 11.8 it'll be somewhere around the same uh, there'll be a few more people who claim that they've hired a few more people to water their pipeline but without it making it mandatory to share a plan we also can't hold these companies to account and it's a these bit companies, surface, isn't it? Yeah. Totally. These companies do need to be held to account. I think their shareholders need to be holding them to account. Investors need to be holding them to account. There's no plan. We can't um, discuss it. Mm. There's no metric, is there? I was going to say, you know, just just having the reporting as the only metric is, mm. is not. It's only part of the picture. As you it's say. only part of the picture. I mean, I know some people have. That's the other thing that happens when the report comes out after the first few days of sort of hand wringing. Uh, then we move on. Then the columns tend to move on to. Um, dissecting whether the metric is appropriate and whether median is the right measure and what are the the disadvantages and some people talk about the fact that it's because it's gender pay gap um on an average you don't actually know whether it's as a result of having too many women in junior roles or what exactly is going on behind the scenes i still am a huge fan that something's being done and i'd rather we stuck to that metric for 20 years and had a kind of baseline and benchmark that we could at least sort of refer back to uh, rather than altering it part way through. So for me, it's more about what can we add to the already existing reporting. In order to 10 years from now, five years? It'd be a nice goal to have 5%, 5% gender pay gap. That yeah. would be progress. Just to see it going in, yeah, in the right direction. In the right direction. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you've done it. You've achieved it. <laughs> we're there's not complacent. No excuse. <laughs> we're not complacent. <laughs> but it's... maybe that's why you've achieved it. Exactly. That there's no complacency and you've got the commitment. So, you know, you've, you've, you're leading the way. Um, there's hope <laughs> it's, I was, yes, it's hard though. I mean, that's the one thing I would say. It is, um, you have to constantly pay attention to it. I think there are other things um, 
we've tried to do we haven't necessarily got right. So looking more about flexible working policies, um, understanding how can you make the workplace more family friendly, recognising that one of the biggest contributors to the gender pay gap is that women do um, have to do the majority of childcare. So it's not just that they choose to have children, recognise that having children is a choice, uh, but also the fact is that societally we're not set up uh, for childcare, in, particularly in the UK, to be an affordable option. So often women stay at home before their children go back to school. Um, so there are bigger things beyond the doors of the employer um, that ultimately the government needs to do to support anyone being able to achieve a meaningful shift in the gender pay gap. Absolutely. Nikki Sprint. Thanks for joining us. It's been lovely having you here.